Good morning again, Hope. Uh, once again, my name is Danny Householder. I'm so glad that we get to be here. Uh, we say it all the time. And can I say it one more time? We believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you. And it's just so exciting to see more and more familiar faces, a lot of new faces as well, as we are starting to uh, fight uh, toward the end of this pandemic. Hopefully, let's keep on praying for that. We're hopping into a brand new series this week. It's going to be short. It's only this week and next week. So make sure that you're here for both of them. It's called Give Me a Break. And today we are talking about something that we talk about all the time, but never end up doing anything about. I'm talking about rest. Anybody here feel like they need some rest? Yeah, you know. Uh-huh. We got some Riverside counselors here. Yeah, they probably need some rest. Yeah, you guys had, what, junior, junior students this week? Like the little kids? Yeah. Pray for them, all right? Okay? Yeah. Um, you know, we could use some rest. Did you know? That uh, the most common response to the question, how are you these days, is no longer fine. Isn't that weird? You know what the most common response is? Busy or tired. Yeah, you guys, you're just tired, aren't you? <laughs> just, man, you guys are feeling it this morning, aren't you? Man, it's busy. That's interesting. 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. We say that we're busy. We say that we're overwhelmed. What, what changed? We don't have less time in a day. It would be easy to say, well, we're working more, but the truth is we're actually not. I found this graph this week. I thought it was really interesting. It talks about the regular working, uh, full-time working hours per week uh, since 1870. In the United States, we were just over 60 hours a week in 1870, and it steadily decreased until about 1970, and then it stayed steady, if you follow along with our line, right around 40, and even today it goes there. I guess our grandparents, maybe our great-grandparents were right when they said they had it harder, right? But uh, they didn't say they were busy, apparently, when they were asked how they were doing. So what was it that changed? Statistically speaking, it's not just that we're working the same amount, same amount of hours per week. Statistically speaking, we also have the same amount of disposable hours a week, essentially the hours that we have to ourselves that don't include sleep time. So what is it? I found this to be interesting as well. There's a survey that came out that said that 75% of people feel like there's enough time in every day to do what they need to get done. And maybe you're hearing that, you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. But 75% of people said that they felt like they had enough hours every single day to get everything done. And yet 62% of people said that their level of busyness has kept them from enjoying their life. So what I find interesting there is we're not actually any busier, but we feel busier. And that is something to take note of. We may not have more going on, but the fact that we feel busier is important to know. It seems like we have a broken relationship with the way that we spend our time. God set up our time to be spent in a healthy way, and one of the healthy ways to spend our time is by incorporating a schedule and rhythm of rest. The very beginning of your Bibles, in the book of Genesis, this is the beginning of Genesis, uh, this is actually supposed to say Genesis chapter 2, I apologize for that, but God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. God rested. The word there for rested is Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Shabbat. Maybe you recognize the word Shabbat. It's where we get the word Sabbath. It's a day that is intended for rest. Quite literally in the Hebrew, it means to cease. This text is telling us that God ceased. He let go of his work. It's kind of a very strange feeling, isn't it? The all-powerful God ceased. 
He was still God. He's still loving creation. He's still taking care of us. We don't have to get legalistic about it and say, I cannot do anything when I rest. No, but it means that he ceased from the things that might tire someone. Now, we worship a God who is self-sustaining, so God doesn't actually need anything. So perhaps he doesn't actually need rest, but he saw that rest was good. And he, and he utilized it. We have a much harder time with that, don't we? It was really recently, I shared this in my e-newsletter this week. Um, and if you read it, thank you so much for reading those. I'm always shocked when somebody tells me, I read your e-newsletter, I'm like, get out. <laughs> No way. And to the 98% of you here, you're going to hear this for the first time. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. It helps me prepare for the sermon. But it was very recently when I was sitting in a restaurant and I was waiting on a friend. And just instinctively, I reached in my pockets for my what? What do you think I reached for? My phone. Yeah. Except I left it in my car. And it's like I started to feel that anxiety rising inside of me. Like, my body didn't know what to do. I started to tense, and I started to wonder, could I get out to my car in time to check my phone really fast? What if I got an email? What if I have an unanswered, che- unanswered, unanswered, unanswered text? At the very least, I could check the Cubs game. I could be doing something. Oh, I just felt tight. And I fought it off for as long as I could, but eventually I had no choice but to just simply sit and do nothing. But it's like my body didn't know how to be bored. It's like I didn't know how to just do nothing. I didn't know how to seize. I didn't know how to stop and just rest. Isn't that funny? Why do we have such a hard time being bored? Why do we have such a hard time stopping, just resting? Every now and then just doing nothing, even if it's for a couple of minutes. I mean, seriously, for me, sometimes I think, well, if I don't have control over things for even an instant, I feel like my life's going to fall apart. What if I just got that one text that I needed to get? What if there's that one email that I need to respond to? You start to feel tense about that. The Bible tells us this in Psalm chapter 46. It says, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. God says, you can be still because I'm going to be God. You can be still and you could stop doing anything if you wanted. And God would still be God. Now, God's not calling you to do nothing with the rest of your life. God's given you gifts and abilities. And he's called a purpose on your life. But you could stop doing anything ever and God would still be God. God would still be honored by every nation. God would still be honored throughout the world. God's plans are still going to happen. You doing does not keep God God. God is God. And you can be still. I mean, I fought that for as long as I could. But after about a minute, finally, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just breathe deep. And I could just feel my neck and my shoulders relaxing. My foot stopped tapping on the ground. My friend walks in. I'm like, welcome! I felt so good. It's so hard to do that, isn't it? How can we get to that place where we can let go? It's not just that we feel busy. It's also that we feel like we need to be busy too, right? Think about it. There's a pressure to be busy. Sometimes we equate being busy with being important. And if you don't have something going on, you don't have value anymore. Can you imagine if your boss walks up to your cubicle and says, Hey, are you busy? You're like, nope, not a thing. 
nothing all day. Why do you pay me? It's like you can't say that. You have this desire, this, this need to be busy because it helps you feel valuable. It, it, it helps us feel helpful rather than helpless. We want to feel busy. Researchers are finding that one of the big reasons why we are feeling so busy, so overwhelmed, even though we don't necessarily have more to do, is because there's always time to do those things. We never actually turn off. It's not that we're doing more things, it's just that we could always be doing something. There was a time when there was simply, it's time for bed, the lights are out, and we don't have electricity. It's time for sleep. But now you could stay up an extra 30 minutes and check your phone. You could get ahead on the next day. Researchers are finding that one of the biggest issues when it comes to our busyness is that we live in a 24-7 connected world. Someone can reach you at all times. Did you know that the average United States American checks their phone 96 times a day? That's once every 10 minutes. You don't get 96 notifications every single day. And yet you think, maybe I felt a buzz, right? When you heard that opening clip today and you heard the ding, did anybody go, well, there it is. <laughs> I just will never forgive Apple for making that the, 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 the sound for everyone. Ding, ah! <laughs> I'll just get a little twitch, you know, when it happens. You just can't stop yourself. Man, we're just connected. Nobody. Nobody, I mean, unless if it's a spouse or a guardian, especially those of you who are living at home and you're a child, especially if it's a parent, they can have full access to you. But nobody should have unlimited 24-7 access to you. And if there's somebody in your life who is demanding that you respond to them right away, it's time to set up some boundaries. And if you're the person who demands others to get back to you right away, or you start to get nervous and anxious and wondering if anybody cares about you, if they're not responding right away, it's maybe time for you to lay off. Can I just give like just a tiny little bit of advice? Delete as many messaging apps on your phone as you can. Nobody needs to get in touch with you that much. It's okay to disconnect. It's okay to let go. It is so hard, isn't it? But it's okay. You ever feel like you're juggling through life? This is what it looks like when we've got that 24-7 connection. And by the way, it's 24-7 connection that's high tech, but it's not high touch. Like we don't actually relate to people when we're just talking through our phones. We forget what it's like to look somebody in the eye. I'm looking at my wife in the eye because that's like the least creepy way I could do it. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> it's our one year anniversary today. Yeah. yeah. I know. Now I'm going to cry. Dang it. Ugh. She's like, suck it up. <laughs> Man. We're high tech, but we're not high touch. We're so spread thin. It's like Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. And he's like, I, I feel like butter that's spread too thin over bread. There was this drill that one of my coaches made us do. It was my least favorite drill ever. You just called it the tennis ball drill. And in the tennis ball drill, you had one job. You had to make sure that the tennis ball stayed bouncing. Seems easy enough, right? The only problem was, is it wasn't just one tennis ball. 
It's like, okay, I can still do that. Okay, easy. Just keep them both bouncing. Just check in on them every now and then. Except the tennis balls weren't in the same spot. One was on one side of a basketball court, and the other was on the other side of a basketball court. And he said, you got to keep going. And if you don't go for long enough, you got to start over. So you're like, okay, I'm going to let that one bounce. And then, okay, I'm going to let that one bounce. And like, oh, boy. Ah! And then eventually, like, you get a, uh, you, you see the problem here? Holy baptism. All right. And it, and it becomes a problem. I'm just going to let that go. Have fun with that, back. That's yours. All right. And that's sometimes what it's like to live a life where you're 24-7 connected. Like, yeah, at first, you can keep running back and forth and keeping it up and letting the ball bounce. But eventually, like, you can't keep it in the right spot. And you're just exhausted. But we've got to keep up that mirage. Like, no, I, I am busy. I am still doing things. I, I'm not stopping because we're afraid. What if that person comes around and they ask, what are you doing? And I don't have anything to say back. <sighs> Suddenly I don't feel helpful. I feel helpless. And nobody likes feeling helpless, do they? Hmm. It's like we're trying to find our security through busyness. There's no way to find security through busyness. I mean, think about it. You stay so busy at your work that you get that promotion. Then you have more responsibility and you're busier. You work so hard to get that, that scholarship. You get it. You go to school. You're busier. You get so busy to make sure that your kids have every single opportunity so that one day they can have the opportunities to be busy. Busyness does not lead to security. It never does. There's like this case study. You heard about it in the reading today. It's in Luke chapter 10. The New Testament gives us this case study of what it looks like to be secure, and what it's like to be insecure in busyness. Jesus and his disciples were heading to Jerusalem, and Jesus takes a detour, and he stops by the home of Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary are famous sisters. There's Martha and Mary. They've got a brother named Lazarus. Maybe you know the name Lazarus. Lazarus is one of Jesus' most famous miracles. Jesus raises him from the dead. Jesus really cares about these people. Uh, when it talks about Jesus' relationship with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, it's as if Jesus is like an extended part of their family. These are like best friends to him. So as he's heading to Jerusalem with his disciples, he stops at the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And it tells us, Martha welcomed him into her home. Now in the Bible, we don't really get a whole lot of details on the personality of Lazarus, but from the stories that we can put together, we actually do have a decent understanding of the personalities of Martha and Mary. Martha was a leader. Martha had a lot going on. In the Greek here, it does not necessarily mince words. We don't necessarily get it in English, but it's noting that it's not just Martha lived in this place. No, this home was Martha's. And we know that Mary and Lazarus both lived there, but the home was Martha's. Martha was the one in the family who was on top of stuff. She had the finances in order. She knew how the family was going to survive. She kept busy. She's an initiator. When Jesus shows up to the funeral for Lazarus before Jesus rises him from the dead, she goes up to Jesus and she initiates the conversation. 
Mary, on the other hand, she's a little more subtle. It's kind of a little quieter. When Jesus goes to Mary at Lazarus' funeral, Mary just cries on Jesus' shoulder. Jesus cries with her. It says this about this particular story in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha. In this interaction with Jesus, it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. She sat with Jesus, and Martha was distracted. She was busy. She had a lot going on. And just the way that the story reads, we can already start to get this understanding that like Martha is kind of in the situation where we're like, well, maybe don't be like that. But Jesus never says what Martha's doing is wrong. By the end of the story, he is going to say what Mary's doing is better, spending time with her Lord and Savior. But Martha, I mean, she's doing good stuff. Like she's working for Jesus. Anybody know that you can work for Jesus and still exhaust yourself? Yeah. God created rest. He wants you to embrace it. God does not ask you to do things that are humanly impossible. When it comes to the humanly impossible things that God calls us to, he steps in. There's that phrase where people say, God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. Until he does. And in those moments, God steps in. But when it comes to your human physical capabilities, you are not asked to never stop. So much that it's in one of the Ten Commandments, you are to honor the Sabbath and develop a rhythm of rest. But Martha was having a hard time with that because this is Jesus, Son of God, in her home. What are you going to do? And who could blame Martha? This is the way that our world works. All of our relationships are so economic. It's not just today, it's a long time ago too. Like, we live in a world where people say, I will give if you give. We live in a world where we worship and honor things that say, give me more. And when I say worship and honor, I'm not just talking about our relationship with God. I'm talking about the things that we're living for. Because who's your boss? Who's the person that you're trying to get approval from? Who's the person that you're scratching and clawing for just so they would notice you? Just so they might think that you're helpful and not helpless. I'm going to push that a little bit further and say, this isn't just your boss. Like, this person, this thing, this social group, whatever it might be, it's, it's more than a boss that becomes a god. David Foster Wallace um, was a famous author from the 20th century. Uh, such a talented writer that Time Magazine called him uh, one, of the greatest, one of the 100 greatest writers of the 20th century. Uh, toward the end of his life, he gave a speech at a college commencement, and he shocked everyone when he, when he said this at a secular school. He said, here's something weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling thing for choosing a spiritual god is that anything else you worship will eat you alive. Imagine being in this commencement ceremony, by the way. If you worship money and things, they're going to, uh, they're going to eat you. You'll never have enough money or things. If you worship your body, you will always feel ugly. 
When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Not the most inspirational speech. But, but do you hear what he's saying? We live in a world that says, give me more. Stay busy. You want something from me? Give me something. Our relationships are economic. And I think that Martha understands that too. She feels like she has to help herself, right? Because who else is going to help her? You ever heard the old cliche, God helps those who help themselves? If you feel like that's in scripture, uh, you're not alone. Uh, Barna Group came out with a study that said 80% of Christians think that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. So you might be surprised to learn it's not in the Bible. And it's a really good thing that it's not in the Bible. I think that it's well intended. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who stay busy. God's pleased with those who keep on working and never stop. It's as if to say, like, don't pray for something if you're not willing to work for it, right? Like, there's the old uh, story that goes around Christian circles where somebody's having a conversation with God and they see the world and it's in terror and they say, God, why aren't you doing something? And God says, that's funny, I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> like prayer leads us to action. We're seeing that today. Prayer is leading people to action. We've seen that all the way throughout history. Think like civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr., he prayed and in his prayer he was inspired to lead a movement. Prayer calls us to action, but let us not deceive ourselves and think we can act before we pray. It's important to spend time with God before we start doing. Listen, God does help those who help themselves because God helps everyone. But the truth is, is that sometimes when we're so focused on helping ourselves, we have a hard time receiving God's help because we're just getting in our own way. Oh, man. When I was in seminary, I had this close relationship with one of my professors and uh, we even shared the same initials, D.H. I think we originally bonded over that, but then we started to bond over uh, lunch. And then we found this, uh, this sandwich shop that we loved to go to all the time together. And it was so amazing. Like, we could just sit and talk. And I really felt like I was resting and enjoying. Uh, he was an older guy. And I rented a house in the neighborhood next to the neighborhood that he lived in and owned a home in. And uh, since he was an older guy, I thought, you know, he's been so good to me. Uh, I, I just want to honor him, and I just want to help. I just want to help. And so I, I, I think I know where he lives. And so for an entire summer, I think to myself, okay, I'm going to mow his lawn. I'm like, I'm such a good person. <laughs> so I take my roommates and I are like really, really junky, somewhat dangerous lawnmower. And I like... <laughs> push it into my roommate's truck and bring it on over there. I pull it on out and then start it up. You know, I'm like going around and mowing. I'm like, oh, this is just great. You know, it doesn't even have to notice me. It never has to notice me. I mow his lawn. I come back the next week and I do it again. This time as I'm leaving with the lawnmower in the truck of my roommate's trunk, I'm driving off of his street and I see my professor drive by. And I'm like, busted. <laughs> Yeah, 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 uh-huh. That week, I'm at the seminary, and uh, there was a fridge where I'd put just like a snack in there, and there was a student fridge, professor fridge, and there was a sandwich in there from our favorite sandwich shop, and it said 2D, or it said 4DH, and I'm like, you get back what you put out in the world. <laughs> cool. 
You help those who help themselves. So I eat the sandwich. And everything continues as normal. Uh, the next week, I, I, I mow his lawn. The next week, I mow his lawn again. Another time, I'm just driving through his neighborhood, and here comes Dr. Howard. And he, and he pulls into his house. It wasn't the house of the lawn that I just mowed. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, who lives in the house that I've been mowing? Like, if some like, well-abled person comes out, oh, the Lord has been good to me. <laughs> I'm going, this is, this is just, I'm going into my professor's office that week to tell him what had happened. I think he's going to have a hilarious time. I walk in, he's sitting there, he's eating a sandwich from our favorite sandwich shop, and on the wrapper it says 4DH because we have the same initials. Not only did I not help him, I stole his food. <laughs> I confessed everything to him. Sometimes when we think we know how to help, we're really only getting in our own way. I gotta stay busy. I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep working. And it's not that God doesn't wanna help us, it's that we're just so focused on how we think we're supposed to help that we have a hard time receiving the way that God wants to help us. We have a hard time hearing God. And we don't slow down to listen. Jesus wanted Martha to slow down and to listen. Martha is furious about this because she's putting in the work. How would you feel about that? This is what Martha says to Jesus. She starts to rebuke Jesus on the next slide. She says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Who's God again? Sometimes when we think that our relationship with God is so economic, I get from God what I give to God, we start to think that we get to tell God what to do. Pray to God. Say whatever. In the passage right after this, Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to pray. And he tells them, ask God for anything. But isn't it interesting how sometimes when things aren't really working out the way that we want it to, especially when we're putting our best efforts forward, we're saying, God, what, what's wrong with you? I started it. Won't you finish it? She's angry. Jesus responds to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. In the translation for today, you heard, my dear Martha. And that's accurate. The original writers, they, they record Jesus as saying Martha's name twice. He, he actually doesn't rebuke her. He's not harsh with her. He's not saying, oh, you. You helpless. Misinformed. No, uh... In that culture, saying a word twice emphasized your emotion in what you were saying, particularly when you were saying a name. And so when you said a name twice, it meant that you were saying it with tremendous emotion. And the other times when Jesus calls something or speaks to someone and says the name twice, he's crying. Before he enters the city of Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you got it wrong. When he's on the cross, he says, my God, my God. How do you think he's talking to Martha? God sees that we're so busy and we won't stop and it's breaking his heart. 
Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. That word worried, it literally means to be broken apart into pieces. Anybody here ever been so busy and spread so thin that you just feel like a bunch of torn up little pieces of paper that used to make up a whole person? It's not even that you have more to do. It's just that you have unlimited access to do it. And it's it's tearing us to pieces. Jesus continues to speak with Martha, and, and he does speak with her delicately. There's, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary's discovered that. That won't be taken from her. Sometimes we think that if we work hard enough, we will achieve the things that no one will ever be able to take from us. If I get that promotion, no one's taking it from me. If I get that scholarship, nobody's taking it from me. If I get into that social circle, nobody's taking it from me. What is it? And so we start to think like, okay, if I have good things going on in my life, I've worked for it, I've done it, I've helped myself, this is about me. And that can lead to silly little things like mowing the wrong lawn, but can also be very, very dangerous. If I think that I've got good things because I'm so great, what does that say about how I see people who don't have things so well? See how dangerous that is? There are people who are wrapped up in injustice, who are wrapped up in abuse, who are wrapped up in sadness and despair, and it's not their fault. If I say, God helps those who help themselves and I've got good stuff, then hey, it's about me and I did it. I'm my savior. And for those other people, well, they just made their own bed now lay in it. That's never how Jesus operates. I mean, just take a look at Jesus and the way that he interacts with people. When he interacts with a woman at the well who'd been outcasted from the entire society, he doesn't go ahead and check her and make sure that she's worthy enough to be spoken to by the Son of God. There's a guy who's possessed by demons. Jesus doesn't say, ah, let me go ahead and screen you first. Are you working hard enough? Are you busy enough? Are you doing enough with what I've given you? Have you earned this? You know, there's a word for that, and it comes in other religions. It's called karma. What goes around comes around. But there's a word in following Jesus Christ, and it's called grace. And it's not what goes around comes around. It's produced by the God who loves you. And by definition, grace cannot be earned because it's a gift. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. You hear that? Whoa, I'm getting goosebumps. There's only one in all my life, over all the things I stress over, any of it could be taken from me. They can't take Jesus. They cannot take the one who can be God so that you can be still. So how do, how do you be still? Let's just cover that really quickly at the end here. Be still. First, we remember that God is God. Don't get confused and think that I can become God. Don't get confused and think that somebody else can be my God and I just have to live for them. No, remember that God is God. 
And even if I stop doing anything, God will still be God. God will not stop being God. How good is that? God will keep being God. After you remember that God is God, cease. What does ceasing look like for you today? Does it mean deleting apps on your phone? Does it mean actually following the boundaries that you set on your phone when it tells you, hey, you've been on this app for 20 minutes, it's time to put it away, and you just hit the ignore button? <laughs> yeah, some of you know it, yeah. What do you need to cease? Listen, the work you do, the work Martha was doing, it is so important, but this is more important. Cease and listen to God. Sometimes our prayers are so anxious, and it's okay. Pray to God in an anxious way if you need to. Take whatever it is that you have, take it to God. Great, you know? But sometimes we need to just cease and listen. Do you know what that's like? When was the last time you just heard silence? When was the last time you were just still? And even when the world around you is wild, full of expectations, knocking on your door, you can listen to the God who says, I'm God. Be still. It's okay to be helpless sometimes. It's okay to own that. God doesn't give you his grace because you're helpful. In fact, the Bible says that his strength is perfect in our weaknesses. His grace is sufficient. And the more of a screw-up I am, the more glory to God for his grace covering me anyway. I can just cease and listen. And then maybe I'll know where God's calling me to go do something, right? Cease. Listen. And get back to the way that God ordered time. You know, God ordered time in the book of Romans, it says this in chapter 5, when we were utterly, what's that? When we were helpless. Not because we were helpful, but when we were helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Uh, the word there for right time, it's, it's not chronos, uh, which is chronological time in biblical Greek, it's kairos. Maybe you know the word kairos because you know of our college ministry. Kairos, it literally means the right time. It's God's time, the time that he sets apart. And at just the right time, before we could do anything, when we were helpless, Christ came. And it wasn't because I was busy enough. It wasn't because I worked hard enough. It wasn't because I started the job and I asked Jesus to come in and finish it for me. No. Listen, I am so tired of asking God to be my assistant. I'm so tired of asking God to be my boss. 
I need God to be God. I don't want him to just show me more work to do. I want to see the work that he's doing and I want to join it. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. You're invited to it. I don't want to make my own blueprints and say, Jesus, go ahead, put the nails in the holes there. Come on, let's do this. I don't want Jesus to come in and clean my countertops. I want him to come in and gut my whole house. I want him to rebuild me from the inside out. I want him to make a home where he is ready to live in. By his work, not mine. In that home, in that space where he sits and rests, I can rest too. And I can be still. And I can know that he is God. Nothing I do will change that. Nothing you do will stop it. So be still. For this last song, if you'd like, I invite you to stand. But if you'd also like, I invite you to sit. Take whatever posture feels right. Maybe for you, resting right now would just be screaming to God. Maybe for you, resting would just be like, okay, I'm going to just get on my knees and... What do you want, God? What's it look like for you? What do you need to cease? So whatever it is, the band's going to come on out. They're going to sing a song with us. It's a song of victory. It's a song of celebration. Maybe you just need the victory sung over you. Maybe you want to join in with the chorus. Whatever it is, be still. And know that he is God. Amen. However you will worship.